Having a Gas is the podcast that talks to the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for dancing to, for cooking to, for f***ing to, and more. Today I'm having a gas with Laurel Stark and Sheila Judkins, respectively the creative director and the director of brand management at The Sims. And since its inception in the year 2000, The Sims has sold over 200 million copies, so I wanted to know what the secret to their success was and how you keep it relevant. Thank you for coming digitally across the pond and, uh, you know, being with us. Uh, and how is it? It's 5 p.m. here on a Friday and it's, what, 9 a.m. there? Is that right? Yes, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, 6 a.m. or uh, 12 noon on, noon. on the East Coast. Noon right on the East Coast where I am, yep. Yeah, because we forget the continent of America is just that. It's not, it's not, we, I, I, we fall into the trap of thinking it feels just like one country and then we go over and visit. And the difference between, let's say, New England and Florida is as vast as the difference between, you know, LA and uh, Austin. Uh, just uh, whereas, you know, we assumed that you, we were just talking uh, off mic about how we've got, uh, you, you guys have family over here. And, you know, we think 100 miles is just too far to bother going. So, you know. <laughs> Um, it so, depends on the family, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like them. Uh, it does. Should we? Um, so we're going to get into the process of, you know, having never done one with two people on uh, at the same time. We're going to see how this goes. And so, why don't we start with a little bit of chat with you, Laurel? Uh, tell me about uh, a what you've been doing uh, recently, as in, you know, the last twenty-four hours, uh, and then yeah, we'll get around to Sheila. Uh, yeah, well, I am, I'm Laurel, I'm the creative director on The Sims, and I am pretty new to this team, although it feels like it's going really fast. Um, and we are in busy season right now, so just prepping for holiday. And so it's been a whirlwind of approvals on trailers that we have coming out and planning for a holiday campaign and some really exciting things we we have in the works around content that hasn't been launched yet so uh lots of lots of conversations with production companies right now <laughs> and so uh over over here we we when we say holiday we mean vacation are you are you, are you meaning holiday season halloween thanksgiving holiday christmas season. yeah we always say like the the campaign formerly known as holiday which is not necessarily <laughs> Christmas season, but it's kind of to be launching in November, December time. So yeah, yeah. We're, all, we're all in planning mode right now. The most wonderful time of the year. And uh, uh, Sheila, uh, what's 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 been on your plate? Also, Union Jack, I didn't notice it and now I did. Thanks for that. <laughs> yes, British people in my family. <laughs> Um, yes. Uh, so I'm, I work more closely with the studio side. And so we're thinking about next year and content launches and strategies and, you know, what are we going to prioritize for our players in terms of what players want in the game and also where we want to take the Sims for the future. Yes. And this is super relevant because, um, when I got into the office on, I forget which morning it was, it was, it was one morning this week, the first story on the drum, you know, one of the trade papers that we just browsed, it says, um, the uh, EA chief marketing officer lays out gaming's offensive on social media. And that was the first time I'd really caught wind of the idea that games are not going to be viewed as games forever, but as an entirely new and immersive experience and something that is going to make the land of 2D scrolling seem like a distant and defunct memory. Uh, just, I, I don't know who wants to go first, but just, you know, give me a bit on that free associate. Where are we going with games versus, you know, what it was in my day, which was a pretty solitary experience? Where's it going? You can go ahead, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think um, like when we think about different industries of products, consumer goods, experiences, et cetera, you have, um, you know, you have consumables and wearables, you have toy, and then you have entertainment, and then you have video games, which are the most interactive and immersive experience you can have. It's a two-way dialogue with players, with consumers, with families. Um, and so it is very immersive. And as we think about um, asynchronous, asynchronous games or even multiplayer games, this is the new way people are connecting. And, you know, we see gen alpha young teens who are on FaceTime playing video games together. Um, and especially during the pandemic, this has become their new way of, of connecting. And so like, that's one of the things I've been realizing even with my kids 
is in the past where we may have met up in person down the street and created stories together, right? And done the role play. Who's going to play the mom? Who's going to play the child, right? All of the things. They're doing that now in video games. Um, and specifically in The Sims, you have the ability to do that, to create exactly who you want to be in the game and then share it and tell it to your, you know, tell your friends. And so this is becoming, you know, one of the ways people are interacting with another with one another. And I suppose it is really you know, what everyone's talking about with the metaverse, this crossover of digital and, and, and IRL interaction. Yeah. And I think also we're in such an interesting time right now, right? We've all in some ways had our worlds collapsed on us because of the pandemic and where our, our lives are becoming, you know, how do we punctuate our lives? We're not commuting to work anywhere. We're not leaving for school anymore. And I think the fact that we have this very like deep digital world to be a part of in a way, at least what we're hoping on in the sim, like games like the Sims is it's, it's actually a world expanding. So while outside you may be experiencing like the collapse of your, of your uh, social capabilities or, or the punctuations in your day. But if you're in, in the Sims, then hopefully you're expanding your world. You're discovering new people. You're discovering new ideas, um, new ways of thinking about things and hopefully being excited about what's, what's possible. And I think as a, as a global, um, as a global game, as a global brand, that's something that we're really thinking about is how, how we can um, enable that discovery and really, um, expand people's worlds, like in a time when they really need that. Yes. How, how do you, for someone like me, I'm 28. So I'm about to, I'm sort of going into true adulthood where you start doing, you know, a family and things like this. And I didn't realize till we were warming up for this uh, discussion and sort of preparing for it, that, um, I was thinking of the Sims in my experience of it as a recent memory, but actually it was 20 years ago and the landscape that it occupied was about so many sort of hundred square feet. And, uh, you know, it was the original where there's no world outside the road, you know, outside the house. Whereas now it's, uh, sound like, you know, what you were just describing and, 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 and where it looks like we're going, um, a, uh, an open world um, uh, and one where people will be, you know, what would you say, Social, socializing in a very casual way, not with the intent to do some, you know, stereotypically gamey activity like race or compete somehow. Um, so just in the context of, let's just stay in the context of The Sims, how recent a development has that been? When did it go from being, uh, you know, a, 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 more, a more gamified experience to being a social experience? Well, I think that, um, you know, our, The Sims has always been a bit of a creative platform for people. Um, we've never been a progression-based game or a competitive game, and I think that's really what the uh, appeal is. In some ways, when I try to describe Sims to people that don't know The Sims, I tell them it's 3D Photoshop. You can come in and create whatever you want in 3D form, right? Um, so it's always been that, but I think like anything else that is a creative brand, people need points of entry. And what I mean by that is like the Crayola example I always use is if you give somebody a 64 pack of crayons and white paper, some people will thrive and create endless things. Other people will be overwhelmed and not have a starting point. And that's where the brand stories or the pack content that we put out is really important to sort of guide people and say, here are some things you could do to inspire their own creativity. And that's really the goal of the stories that we put out there. Um, so I, but I do think, you know, 21 years ago, I think that was always the intent of the Sims is to empower people to express themselves, to have a place where they could come and experiment, discover who they are, figure out how you want to show up in the world and what a better way to do it in a place where there's not really real world consequences. Um, there's a lot of devious things that happen in people's personal games from trying to figure out how many people you can hook up with in a 24 hour period to uh, the fate pretty famous hundred baby challenge. So yeah, there's a, it kind of is, it does allow that safe space for experimentation and self-expression. Yeah. But I do think that there is that point. The one thing that does, I feel make the Sims unique is we do have that kind of devious, mischievous quirk. So you can set up your amazing life in the Sims and then gnomes will come and destroy your home and, or, or, you know, your neighbor's cow plant will eat your family or these kind of crazy wild things. So it's definitely 
not, um, you're not escaping to this, uh, you know, to this beautiful, serene environment. You're escaping to somewhere where, uh, where crazy things can happen. And I think that that fun also, you know, and that idea of like anything can happen here, um, you can make choices, but there's still, there's still influences happening in the game. That means that you're not completely in charge of everything that happens. Like that element is kind of, um, yeah, unique to unique to the experience in The Sims. And I think it's something that people like because it brings that element of um, crazy choices that you might not be able to make in the real world or even just how you react to a situation. Um, you know, I think it's it's interesting how we think about what happens in game and then what that does to your brain when you're out in your own life. Um, how has that expanded the way that you approach relationships or any things that you've thought about yourself or how you show up in the real world? Um, and, and even like exploring things like your sexuality or making a choice that like would normally blow up your family, <laughs> but you can do that in The Sims and like have this other kind of like half-life there that um, that lets you explore the different facets of yourself. So I think that that's what's so wild and fun for us um, about The Sims too. Now, that's really interesting that you mentioned that because uh, obviously we're recording here and so you can uh, ask for uh, anything to be scrubbed from the record if needs be. And what, the reason I'm doing that is because I'm preempting mentioning what could be perceived as a competitor brand, which is what you were just describing there, Laurel, sounded like a version of the game's second life that didn't carry with it the social stigma that that brand carries with it. Um, I'm thinking of when... Uh, have you, I don't know if you guys have both seen The Office when, uh, uh, yes, plenty of nodding, when Dwight is uh, on Second Life and he says it has no winners or losers. And Jim says, no, it has losers. The thing is, uh, with, the, the, with The Sims, you don't have that perception of it. It seems, uh, let's say, wholesome for want of a, a less overused word. And yet you can still do what you were just describing there, Laurel. You can kind of say, let's run a simulation of my life as if it were out there and just see how I feel when I do it. A tame example of that is the fact that in when I was playing The Sims, the original, I would always, as soon as I, well, I'd say as soon as I could afford it, as if I was hiding the fact from you that I used the cheat codes to get all the dollars, uh, I'd always get a grand piano for some reason. So I always knew that that's where I was going. And those are the kind of things that you can experiment with now, but on a broader scale. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting you're saying like, yeah, you you can have this uh, this serene, serene life in the game. But I think it's also, it's also about a twist on what that looks like and challenging people's ideas of like, for example, um, cottage living with, which just came out. Yes. That, yes, that's this beautiful, like English inspired by the beautiful English countryside and the ability to like, you know, make amazing meals from scratch and go, uh, grow your own vegetables and all this stuff that feels very, uh, very serene and kind of like back to nature. And then we have these crazy killer chickens that will attack, like have fire, you know, fire eyes and they'll come and uh, attack you. So I think, yeah, there, there is that, there is that element element to it that is keeping things from being too much of a, just a replacement for real life. Um, and I think that that's kind of the nice, uh, the, the nice thing about the Sims. It's, it's never going to be an exact replica of what you can do in real life. Um, there's always that element of kind of chaos and like, and, uh, a bit of like, this is not reality, obviously, you know? And I, I think that that, that sets us apart in that way for sure. And some of that levity, that humor and levity is actually really needed. Like we all need to be able to kind of laugh at our, like if we're all trying to build, you know, more resilient humans of the world, we have to be able to kind of laugh a bit at ourselves when we make mistakes. And so um, that's one of the things I particularly appreciate about, about the game and, you know, the consequences aren't so real. So something... Uh, something that's quite frightening um, when one thinks about it is always the passage of time and, you know, how, how much longer ago something was than you realized. I saw a meme today that said, what was it? It's, we're nearer to 2050 than we are to 1990, which wasn't a pleasant thought. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're right to raise your eyebrows there, Laurel. So um, the point being, uh, we're 20 years since the original thing, or 21 years. And what was 20 years before that, 1980? Video games were just not really a uh, thing beyond. Was, would, did we even have Pong then? Or was that 70 something? Doesn't matter. Yeah, Atari. I, yeah, was Atari, Atari was like then, 1978 yeah. or 79, I think. Yeah. 
I, yeah. my parents had an Atari, Atari set that I played for a while with the, was it Frogger? <laughs> a classic. Yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, raising an important ecological message at the same time. But, uh, <laughs> the point is imagine in your, you're in the year 2000, 2001, and you're still playing a game from 1980 or say the same franchise from 1980. That's a bit surreal, but, uh, the Sims is 21 years old, and for people like me, it's a childhood memory. And uh, you have a brand that you've is successfully not been relegated to the past. How do you maintain that momentum? How do you keep it relevant? How do you keep it feeling like not an old brand, basically? Yeah, I think the really interesting thing about The Sims is that we have people that come in at these teen years and then they stay with the game for a really long time because it is a beloved game. But the reality is like the game really is designed for teens because at that, you know, they say preschool and teens are the ages of your life that have the most change, right? So preschool is all about physical autonomy and teens is all about emotional autonomy. And so at a time where people feel, where teenagers feel like they, or even young adults don't feel like they have control over their decisions, empowerment, they go to the Sims and they have every choice, Every choice is theirs to be made. And so it's a quite compelling game for because of that reason. And so there really is a new generation of teens every year. And while, yes, if you look back at some of our packs on The Sims 4 from seven years ago, the overalls in, in those packs don't look like the overalls people are wearing today. Um, we do continue to evolve because those things are still relevant, right? The, the ability to, to uh, break the norm and do the wild hairstyle, whatever's considered wild at the moment, or, you know, push boundaries, all of those things are always relevant to every generation. And so we just continue to evolve and deliver it as best we can to the next generation of teens. And I think one of the, I mean, I love what Sheila said about the idea that we are designed for a time in your life, a mindset, a, a need that you have at, at a developmental stage. So obviously people are always aging into that category. But I also think one of the things that's so special and exciting about The Sims as a brand is yes, like we've been around 21 years. People have big feelings about us. Like people have memories. Like you said, you have this childhood memory people have been with us a long time. Like some of our core, our core base have been around since the beginning and we know them by name. Like they're our gurus. They're, you know, they're very involved in the process. So I think one of the things that's really exciting and, and something that I think other brands sometimes shy away from that we're doing, uh, you know, and especially now, like working on figuring out like how to do more of is that listening and that dialogue with people that are vested in our brand. What do they want? What do they need? And then also it's kind of a balance between that and then also where our team is hoping to take our brand and finding the balance of giving giving our audience what they what they think they want and then also bringing them something that they couldn't have even imagined that they're going to love and it's kind of like that balance constantly for us and what's really exciting about um kind of the evolution of our of our team is that we're really at this place where we even though we've got all this content, you know, it's coming constantly with The Sims. We're getting to this place where we're having these conversations further out and, and we're really being able to have like a nice partnership between me and Sheila. Like I'm on the on the marketing side, Sheila's on brand management and, she, and, and the studio. And we have like these open dialogues and we're able to like influence what's coming and influence the story about why that's so special. And I think, you know, getting, getting into, I don't know that I'm new, so obviously I joined during COVID, but this idea that um, all of us are having like our our virtual walls down and that's happening on our team too. And I think that that's really just um, fueling us forward to this idea that we're constantly thinking about what's next and, and working together. We have such an amazingly talented team and I'm excited about that. I love that, we're, that we have that unique ability to talk to our players, get feedback in real time, talk to each other, talk to the dev team, think about what things are going to be like six months down the line or how do, we, how, do we, how do we have that balance? What are the opportunities there? And it's just endlessly exciting. And that's, of course, another th uh, thing that sets apart the modern era of gaming um, and it's certainly what it sounded like you were alluding to there, Laurel, is that the gameplay real time affects the decisions you're making on the brand side and on the marketing side as so, uh, and that 
I mean, if people are sharp enough to pick up on that, that must be pretty exciting, right? If, you know, you can put it out there and then you can see how are people actually interacting with this thing? And then you go, okay, they like a bit more of column A than B, then we can actually take it there. Uh, have you got any, that's all very vague and abstract uh, in, you know, what I'm saying there, because I tend to do that. So, you know, what does that actually mean? How, uh, give, have you got any examples of the way you've yeah. kind of manipulated it once it's out there based on how people are doing it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of, honestly, the challenges and joys of being in video games is that people are on YouTube telling us every detail of the game experience, of the of the marketing trailer, um, even like packaging key art. They're breaking it down, saying, here's what I liked, here's what I didn't like. And so it is so much as, 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 um, as communicators, as marketers, branders, like it is the most unbelievable and valuable feedback we get. And so we do watch a lot of those videos and hear what our players have to say. Um, yeah, so a couple of things that we do is, for example, we... We have community programs that we call our game changers. We also have design council that the studio team works with. And so we're constantly talking to players um, and people that have been fans of the game for a very long time to get feedback on things even prior to launch. So we do that. Um, we also do extensive market research on big pack launches or big brand campaigns to make sure that they are appealing to the widest number of people um, or specific groups of people, if that's what we're trying to do. For example, some things we do is after a pack launch, we do look at, a, you know, quality control on the pack and see what people, what's not working, what are players complaining about. And then the studio team does go back and address it in a very, very short amount of time. So we do try to be as live service as possible in addressing things that are pain points for players. Um, we also continue to listen to our social channels. And so, for example, like in the last year, we've added um, everything from bunk beds that players really, really just wanted. Um, so we got bunk beds in the game um, and representation con content, like better Asian facial features because that was really lacking. And so it's really like, we have 38 million copies of the game sold. And as you can imagine, 38 million people are gonna tell you very different things that they want from this game, especially with it being a life simulation game. And so we just do our best to continue to listen, make sure we're listening in as many places as we can and bubbling up um, the things that we think are most impactful, specifically around DNI, like around representation content. That is a place where we really want to be, you know, we don't want any, we want everyone to be able to come to this game and be able to create themselves, see their lifestyle and feel that they belong. Yeah. And I think also, uh, I love, I love like Sheila's point, but I think we're also, constantly aware that we are a global brand and that we have people playing from all around the world and that, um, you know, maybe historically we've leaned a little more like North American centric and, uh, or Eurocentric in our development and the, and the kind of things that we have in the game. Um, so, we're constantly looking at ways that through through base game updates, what can we do to kind of put the things in the game that people are asking for where we could do better? We're constantly looking at those things, but also we're like experimenting with different types of content that are accessible, um, that are fun to play with, just to see what people think and what they like and how they react to that. So recently we launched kits, which are these really kind of bite-sized play packs that we've included. And they let people try on like a new clothing style or a new, uh, like a new design for around like, a the oasis kit where we had where you could build an oasis in your garden these kinds of like kind of bite-sized things that then pull in these um like maybe a global or a, or a style theme that's coming from a different part of the world so that that kind of brings in the idea of representation but it's also kind of this fun thing that we get to do and we can drop these more quickly because they're easier to develop you know shorter time to develop um and they're five dollars so it's it, you know they're accessible for people to buy and, and and play with and it's also learnings for us what types of packs are people excited about what are they saying about them how are they using them in ways that we didn't kind of perceive in the in in, in the beginning and i think you know just trying to figure out what the right balance is but i love the fact that you know our development team and and props to the studio team sheila's team's been doing some amazing amazing really exciting work on kits and um, just the experimentation and the kind of like feedback that we're getting off those is really exciting. And so I think figuring out how we can deliver the content that people are wanting um, 
in, in different ways is really exciting too. On a uh, personal level, because we'll get back to talking about the product itself and 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 the and the world that 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 you both live in uh, in a moment. But on a personal side, how much does it feel like there's a pressure to be, let's say, on all the time and awake all the time when you've got a global product being rolled out and you've got feedback coming, uh, you know, around the clock, twenty four seven, whilst noting that we're we're pushing for better work life balance all the time. You know, how 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 does that feel? I think what I see on our teams is that we definitely have moments. For example, when we have a pack launch or uh, an event like EA Play, the teams the teams are on, and for the most part, we can sort of plan in advance to accommodate those things. Um, we, I, I do think EA is very, very supportive of healthy work life balance. They offer us the, you know access to care um, that's really important. Uh, Certain groups have half day Fridays in the summertime. And so um, it is, we try really hard to not do that. And also I think we just have a really great team that, you know, I could pass to Laurel, hey, I'm on PTO. Can you cover these three things for me? No problem. Like we really do have teams because look, at the end of the day, we're all humans. We're all stuck behind these Zoom screens. And so um, just having people that are just good people that are very empathetic is really important. And that's kind of how we're managing. Um, Yeah, there are moments where we're always on. And I know our our social and our comms teams are the ones that are definitely on the most. Um, and so we try to make sure that we prioritize things for them. The other thing is that, as we all know, with social channels, based on the temperament of whatever happens to be going on in the world, things can just flare up. And so sometimes there'll be something that seems like a huge deal. And in an hour, people are talking about something else and it's moved on. And so we try to, to temper being super reactive, um, and really figure out when do we need to, you know, when do we need to light up the teams and when, when is it just something that we should monitor? Yeah. And I, and I'll say like full transparency, I've been rather outspoken about my own mental health journey. I actually launched, um, uh, a project called our silent partner with an amazing art director in 2020, like after we were in a few months into shutdown that basically aimed to, uh, visualize like our internal struggles as creatives with our mental health and start this industry conversation. And for me, that was really, really scary at the time, but it, it felt like something I needed to do. Cause I kept on waiting for, I wait, I was waiting for the other leaders to say something and nobody was saying anything. And So finally I was like, maybe I should say something, you know? And I think for me being open about what, where I struggled and having, and sharing that vulnerability and encouraging, it's not, this was a creative led conversation, but obviously everyone's dealing with mental health, you know, struggles right now. Um, But the fact that I was really transparent about that actually, uh, opened me up to opportunities at places where they were like, we're worried about mental health. Like we love that you have a point of view on this, that you care about that. So I knew coming into EA that they had good mental health care, that they were thinking about these things, that they were being transparent about these things. Um, and I, and I've tried to stay very transparent with my team. Um, I just finished an eating disorder recovery program. I had that like listed on my calendar and I just let, I like said, it said therapy like on my calendar. And I, I said, sorry, I can't do this. I have therapy now. And I try to just normalize those conversations internally um, because while it might be scary in the beginning, the more that we as managers or as brand leaders or as people that have a platform do that, the easier it is for other people to feel safe. And I think that we really have to lead that way. So for me, like it's been honest, it's being honest about where I am day to day and and creating the space for my team to, 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 to share where they are day to day. Um, but also I think in terms of 
with with the team that we have, we are at a place where we finally have all of these amazing people together with the right skill sets, with this desire to reinvent the way we've been working because some of us are new and some of us have the history and it's a nice mishmash of of, of points of view there. And we, we really are looking for ways to collaborate more effectively to get ahead of the curve on these things, to start planning six, three months out so that we're not having these crunches um, and to find these efficiencies and also opportunities to do things better. Um, so it's an exciting time and we're still figuring it out. But I think that those sorts of things are speaking to us finding our flow as an always on brand. Um, and I think it's going to enable us to deliver better experiences and, and better marketing too. And I think, and, and also better lives for ourselves. And I think that's what we're really trying to build right now. Like trying to like live our values. If we want that for our players, like we want that for ourselves too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I always love those profound moments in life, like the one you just described where you said, you know, you were uh, waiting for the leader on this to speak up. And then uh, you realized that that was actually you and it was you that everyone was waiting for, you know. So it's good. It's a moment of what, what you would, what, for want of a better phrase, what I would say, it's like a, it's like, it's a coming of age moment, you know. Yeah. And so one thing, uh, I'll maybe focus on you for a moment here, Laurel. What's it like uh, leading a creative team that you have uh, only come to lead during the pandemic? I'm making an assumption here that there hasn't been much face-to-face interaction in in an office environment yet. No, I have not. I've actually been to the office once. Sheila took me um, after we went to dinner together. Um, So I've seen the office. Um, I have not actually been in the office and I don't think we will be back in the office for quite some time. (laughs) So um, EA is being very, um, very mindful of the health and well-being of our employees and and planning accordingly especially with the delta spike so um i think that that's that's in the future sometime but not in the near future um but yeah it's it's been different i think remote remote joining a team remotely and 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 joining a team where um you're coming in at an inflection point of change and i think it's been it's been it's been challenging in some ways, but I'm also just incredibly grateful for what I'm joining. Like I knew when I was coming in the gift that I was being handed. And so I think for me, just being so mindful of caring for the people and caring for the brand in a way that shows that I understand how important they are and how important our brand is to people. Um, so that's always like what I try to remember during the frustrating points when you're, when you're busy, when you're stressed, when there's miscommunications, like always trying to come back to that point of being like in gratitude for the opportunity, because at the end of the day, it is insane that I have this opportunity to work with people that are this smart, this passionate, um, and on a brand that means something to so many people. And I just, I try to lean into that, but I think, um, a lot of it is transparency and just also tr- like leaning into trust really, really quickly, which is hard to do, but the default has to be trust when you're learning. And I think the default has to be leaning into your partners, like f- folks like Sheila, who've been there longer, who can explain to me why things, I was like, what is, is this a thing? Oh, this is a thing. Let me explain the backstory to you. Like it helps keep your sanity when you're coming into a new situation. And for me, you know, I'm I'm coming to EA with a much different background than your average creative director at, at EA has historically. I have branding um, agency background, much more 360 with a social forward lens. And I think traditionally at EA, a lot of the creative directors have been more um, focused on film. So they're more, and, and I'm thinking about things more holistically. So having having um, one, no expectations of how things should be and really leaning into building those partnerships uh, has been really key in, in kind of helping me navigate that. So um, that is, I mean, there's, there's there's a lot that, just like the Lion King, there's far too much to take in here. Um, you know, it's, it's good to hear that, you know, there is, um, let's say, like an adjustment of the of the perspective you said you have a social first perspective and previously things have been more like more like film let's say and that's an, another indication of what we were talking about before of things transforming into the new media but you were also describing a, a very uh, traditional story which is you know having to have 
flipping it, my lights come on automatically. Having to have, uh, you know, a, a mentor and a confidant in a strange new world. So, uh, Sheila, I take it that you have been there for, uh, you know, some time. And what, uh, let's, you know, just talking about the COVID thing, because we were mentioning that there, Laurel. I forget how different things are there than here in the UK. Uh, what was it like going through the transformation already at EA, you know, last March to where things are now? And, uh, you know, how has the how has the culture changed compared to where it was, if it's changed at all? Oh, this is a big question. And I think it's really evolved. So I was in the office. I relocated to the West Coast and was in the office with everyone for about for four months, four to five months before we, um, <clears throat> excuse me, before we went on lockdown. I think at first, so at first it definitely uh, felt like the energy went down a notch because so many people are invigorated, especially in creative teams when you're in, in person and you're ideating together. And I, um, I do think the Sims team has a really great culture and I really do, uh, my parallel is music, you know, creating music with people, you're maximizing each other. You're trying to create something that's better than any of you could create on your own. And that really is our mentality around collaboration and work and delivery and things. Um, so that, you know, the energy I think went down at first, the number of meetings went up way up because you can can no longer catch a coffee with somebody and have a five minute conversation. It has to be a half hour. And so just um, I think that was painful. I think the scheduling, the amount of time that we all spend trying to coordinate our schedules with one another is really difficult. Um, on the other side of this, one of the things that I most noticed was when we talk about you know, having a seat at the table. And literally this comes from being in a corporate environment where there are executive reviews and truly you're sitting in the second row away from the table, right? With Zoom, you're in an executive review and everyone has equal footing and everyone has the same square on the screen. And at first I was like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. I don't know if I want my voice to be the same as a C-suite executive in this moment. I, I'm not sure I like this. And so I think it was, that was an adjustment, but also something that really did give people who in the past didn't have a voice or didn't have the forum to speak up, the forum to speak up. Um, yeah, so I think it's, I think it's hard. I think, I mean, what I sense from most people is that they'd really love to be back together in person. Um, I think we're all craving physical, you know, connection. It's really difficult to connect with people through a video screen. Um, but also that many people have been opportunistic in a really wonderful way, having walk and talks with people, getting their exercise in, making healthy meals, uh, learning a new thing, craft, music, whatever, video game. And so I think um, the, the work-life balance will be something that will probably evolve coming out of, out of this. How many days are we really going to be in the office? But um, yeah, those have been the biggest challenge I see. And definitely the Zoom fatigue. And the Zoom fatigue, I think, presents itself in the most comical and not comical ways from people feeling dizzy to me where I continue to do the, I, I've developed a quirk now where when I talk, I turn this way because I don't want to look at myself on the screen anymore. And the joke is that I profile speak on Zoom now. Yeah. So yeah, we just have to find the levity in, in, in these things, I think. But yeah, it's it's been a it's been a lot. And I think it's been a lot for everyone. There is an impressive thing that we've all learned. And the two of you so far in this conversation have been exemplary in this regard, which is that we've all learned to be perfect broadcasters and not crosstalk. So, you know, like I can tell that you two have like a sixth sense for when one's going to stop and the other one picks up, uh, which is good. Um, but uh, but yeah, I wonder if there were ever those moments where we're at the start of the Zoom world and some people were saying, can we make sure my, can we not make my screen a bit bigger than others, you know? <laughs> I'm sure somebody has asked for that. Yeah. Um, so I was, but I was daring myself to do a Trump impression, but I won't, those days are over. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need to talk about some music because when we first started talking and obviously my way into this was, you know, Laurel, we were speaking at first about, um, doing this and then, um, uh, and then I had the pleasure, of course, both of you being on, uh, the first thing you told me about was summer of Sims and live music events in the Sims. Now, of course, that is a matter very close to my heart. The only thing I had found out about this beforehand, again, I'm going to mention a rival, uh, of sorts. It's not quite a rival, uh, was Fortnite. Uh, someone told me, oh, 
fortnight that Travis Scott had done a concert and I was like, a concert in a game? And I felt like an old man immediately. I was like, no, that's never going to happen. Of course, it already is happening. Talk to us about that in The Sims. I'll let Sheila kick this off. Sure. So, you know, we have a long history of working with music artists on The Sims um, from TS4, The Sims 4 current game to the very first game. Um, we've had over eight, we've partnered with over 800 different artists through the years. Um, everyone, I wrote down a few, um, everyone from Leanne Rimes, Luke Bryan, Zara Larson, Lily Allen, Katy Perry, Japanese Breakfast, Pussycat Dolls, Domino Saints. Um, the list is, is pretty impressive. Um, Lizzo, and so uh, what we do is we we have both an in-game radio station where artists will sing in Simlish their their song. And typically it's an up and coming artist. We have a pretty incredible music team that's led by Steve Schnurr, who they're in the music industry. They have their pulse. On, you know, they're on the pulse of what's happening and, and what's coming and. It's a both combination of who who's a good fit for the brand in terms of values, inclusion, and diversity, um, who is going to break, and who we want to help support in their career. And so we just have this really long history of music. We know it's a place of discovery for our players, and that kind of brought us to the Sims Sessions. Yeah. Sims Sessions was cool because I think um, for us, it, it was one of those decisions around, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but like, how, how do we bring the content in? What is the content? Um, and this was such a great collaboration with the dev team, with the studio team, with the marketing team. It was all hands on deck and figuring this out. But yeah, we did have our first concert at the end of um at the end of June and, and, and BB Rexa headlined for us. So we had, um, Dave from glass animals and joy Olatican, um, all in our game. And I think the lineup was, you know, again, like speaking to the diversity and inclusion, um, you know, having some, having a bit of that, uh, maybe you haven't heard all of these artists, maybe you're discovering something new, um, was really exciting for us. We wanted to have this idea of kind of a bit of that like summer festival vibe. Um, so leaning into like the, the, the hits of the summer and um, creating space for people to really interact with their favorite artists or a new artist in a new way. And I think that that what was so fun of thinking about what would that experience be like in game and, and what, what do we want to prioritize and what did we want our players to get out of it? And I think one of the most exciting things about that was that we did this as a base game thing. So you didn't have to buy anything special to, to attend. You just had to, we, I think you, you logged in and you had your ticket that you could click in and, 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 and get to the game and, um, and experience the concert. And we had it live for a week. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was really fun and it was a, a first for us. And, um, I think we have a lot of learnings from that. Um, but it was really interesting to see, um, what people were excited about and how they talked about it. And, um, this idea that especially during a time, I think, you know, this was, supposed to be, you know, hot vac summer. And here we are with another wave and giving people that opportunity to have that, that bit of that festival moment that, that they weren't able to have in the real world, um, with a bit of a Sims twist was really fun. And I was really, um, I love the fact that this entire team pushed for the lineup that they did, that they pushed for the experiences that they did. Um, cause as a base game update, that was a lot considering like our, you know, and, and this was in between, you know, a game pack launch and a big um, expansion pack launch for us. So the fact um, that the teams were able to do that was really like pulling out all the stops because they wanted to bring something exciting for our players. Um, and even if it wasn't going to be like this, it wasn't meant to be this um, money-making moment. It was just about delight and showing up for our players and showing our appreciation for them and giving them an opportunity to have something fun to look forward to, you know? So I, I think that that was a lot, it was, it was really fun. And it was one of the, for me, one of the first things that I got to work on here and one of the most collaborative projects that I've worked on thus far and um, excited about working closely with um, the dev team and the studio teams on other stuff. Cause it was a lot of fun. 
One of the other things that Laurel had said earlier to me that was, is such a good point about this is the reason that this experience is so different and unique to The Sims is that if I'm a player, the concert was in Simlish, which is our unique language, quote unquote language. Um, Robbie Cocker, who's our long-term veteran who basically created Simlish, um, is just phenomenal. Uh, it's not an official language, although I would like it to be. We'll get that. Yeah. Um, you know, he's the one that's responsible for creating this with all the artists. But Laurel's point earlier was that, you know, if I'm a player in Japan, I'm listening to music in the same language as a player in, you know, Midwest America. Um, and so I think that that shared experience is pretty unique and interesting. I also think that, you know, when we think about the Fortnite concert, that was really, I'm going to this event and I'm a participant in the event. And the thing that we one of the things we try to do on The Sims is really empower people. So I could have made this concert whatever way it was, it was the concert my way. So if I wanted to dress my Sim in, uh, you know, Bohemian style, I can do that and I can experience this music the way that I want to. And so I could customize, you know, take whoever I want to the concert, wear whatever I want to the concert versus becoming an avatar in someone else's experience. Right, right. The distinction there is like uh, in the Fortnite experience, you are not a participant, you know, with an identity. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes we find that technology is uh, so far ahead of its time um, that it seems as though it would never catch on. So for example, video conferencing that we're doing right now has been around since about, what, 1998, 99. I know, for example, they were scoring the Lord of the Rings a trilogy in, using this kind of technology and it seemed so expensive. You needed such an impressive connection and the, you know the market's just not ready for it and who knows if it will be. And then of course, pandemic year, it's the only way we've been able to work. And so I'm wondering if the kind of thing you're proposing with like sim sessions uh, could have been had the, had the world been you know ready for it in time the kind of savior of the festival season that we all needed in a broader sense because for example we you know our version of Coachella is Glastonbury and everyone missed that so much that they turned to old linear media to try and bring it back it's like we, instead of having the festival we're going to have a live stream event and it's going to be pay per view like TV and you know we'll record Heim playing their sets and then you'll watch on TV and then when you know, you mentioned Lizzo. I saw Lizzo at Glastonbury, one of my favorite moments musically of my life. Um, it just occurred to me that this could be something that, you know, um, we're seeing in the future that you're basically, if hopefully something like this doesn't happen again, but it's an actual viable alternative. You can have the festival experience in the virtual world. Is that is that where we're going uh, with, with stuff like Sim Sessions? I mean, I would like to hope that's where, I mean, not to say like, I know exactly where the brand's going, but from where we sit and what, what our values are and really, you know, leaning into this idea of the Sims being this destination for, for creativity and for self-expression and discovery, like that to me seems a natural fit, like music is a, that's a, to me we've always been supporters of new musicians helping artists break themselves like you know i think there was an amazing headline we had recently that says have you really made it unless you've unless you've sung in simlish or something i think it was a vault and it was about um you know japanese breakfast um singing in simlish be sweet in our um in our ep11 pack uh, cottage living but um I think I think the hope would be that yes, in a future, the, in in a future world, like we have these opportunities, and that that creativity is 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 that we're helping democratize creativity, right? Like so that it's available to everybody, that you, everyone has the ability to build their own set, to express themselves in a way, to share their music, to share their art, um, to meet other artists and collaborate in a way that kind of frees up who's owning the narrative, right? And I think the most exciting thing to me as a creative and as somebody who's always like felt drawn to support the creator community is that, I love the fact that we don't own the narrative in The Sims. Like it's a non-linear game. It's not about our story. It's about the stories that people bring to us, the stories that people create within our walls. And I 
for the, for the future, like my hope is that on steroids, that it becomes this place where everyone is empowered to make the art or tell the story that they have in their heart. And then by nature of doing that and elevating that people come here and are like, Oh, I see myself. I see myself in that song. I see myself as an artist because, you know, in traditional media, we, we know this is not, not anything new to anyone on this call, but you know, the narratives have been owned by white cis hetero men for so long. Um, it, it's not even an option. People haven't seen themselves and you don't, there is that really that truth to that. If, if I, if I see it, I can be it. And I think that I hope that that's, that's where we're going. If Sims is in support of creativity and the democratization and the accessibility of this creative force, that that's where we're going, whether it be a concert or, or an, a, a virtual art house or any of these things, I, I, I hope that we can be a tool to help that be a reality. Well, that sounds like, uh, you know, a relatively positive note almost to go out on because I realized we've almost chewed up an hour there. And uh, of course, here it's Friday night, which means it's time. No, I'm, uh, I'm not in a hurry to go anywhere. Um, over, there is fr- over, over there is Friday. What, over there is Friday morning. What does the day look like for uh, you guys? You know, how, how, what happens between now and uh, winding down? She... I was going to say, so I'm actually on um, PTO this uh, today. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after this, I am um, I'm actually taking my 11 year old, who's a huge Sims fan, shopping in Boston to buy a dress for her birthday. Oh, I love. I know that. it's really sweet, and she's hounding me for when the next pack comes out. <laughs> She's like, mom, 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 tell me, tell me. I promise I won't tell anybody else. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, No, normally, you know, I'd say a a typical Friday afternoon for us, honestly, it feels very people, people first. Like usually it it revolves around like checking in, walking talks, checking in with people. Hey, anything that you need support on for next week? Um, We do have a really good habit of ending most of our calls in that way too, to say like, Hey, is there anything that just occurred in this meeting that you feel like is a hurdle you can't overcome by yourself where you need extra support or where we should maybe level set on the ask. For example, Um, quite often people will ask Laurel's team for a lot of creative development and in-game capture actually takes a significant amount of time. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really just kind of making sure that the work, the, the work is reasonable, that it's the most efficient work we c- can be doing the, where we get the maximum return. Um, yeah, it's usually a lot of people check-ins for Friday afternoons and, yeah. and a bit of like, Hey, next week, top of the list. These are the things. Yeah. And ju- just uh, terminology-wise, for those of us from the old world, uh, which I'm, I shouldn't be referring to myself as now, in-game capture, that, that that's how you shoot a trailer. You actually have to go into the game and do it. Yes, and we have an amazing, amazingly talented cinematics team led by Jenny and Aki, and they just absolutely smash it. Like the, They are the ones that take our ideas and bring them to life in-game. And it takes skill, it takes art direction, it takes time. Um, and yeah, so always trying to give them the space to deliver their best work is, is, is us trying to push back on timelines. So they have the time. Um, but yeah, for me, I'd say the great thing about EA, we are on, um, our team is one of the teams that has adopted kind of these, um, mental health Fridays. So we ask, we have like no, no, um, what do we call them? Focus Fridays. Um, so that you actually have focused time to take care of yourself or to work on work that, you know, gets eaten up by all those meetings and that happens. We have half days for that. Um, I would say normally I would be having walk and talks with Sheila and a few of my other partners today. Um, And then I would go work out and then I would have like a nice leisurely afternoon where I'd probably be working on a brief or a creative strategy or connecting with my team. Um, Today, we've had kind of some unexpected, exciting opportunities hit in the last week that I need to catch Sheila up on when she's back, um, that I am now, my my day is a little bit more full than normal, um, but it's all good. This is the thing that's so exciting is I actually want to check these emails. Like I want to be on these calls because I'm hyped for what we're, what we have coming up. I'm, everything is just so exciting that that's where you want to be as a creative. You want to be this excited for what you're put, what you're producing. 
So. And this is absolutely uh, brilliant because I just realized as the two of you were describing what you're doing there, uh, I spend a lot of the time on this podcast talking to traditional Adland, you know, um, and traditional Adland is, um, I don't know if that's the, you know, the background of both for both of you, but it certainly seems like it is the case for you, Laurel. Um, traditional Adland is kind of on its heels and having a bit of a crisis of confidence as to where, th- where are things going. People don't care about TV anymore. Kids don't watch TV, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, all, there's this angst of where are things going? And I feel like what we've been discussing is this is where things are going. This is the first, uh, not one, not the first, but one of the only kind of lit up, excited you know, excited for the future conversations I've had with creatives and people in, in this world. So so it sounds like we're onto a, a good thing here. Um, and um, I don't know if there's anything either of you want to uh, to mention in closing. Uh, I've never done it with two people before. So this is just why, you know, <laughs> why I'm throwing it out there. Yeah. Um, well, just to build on what you were saying, I think Laurel mentioned this earlier, but basically, you know, this idea of co-creating brands with consumers. That is definitely where the world is going. And, you know, kids, Gen Alpha is, are, they already know what brand means. They, they, they have an expectation that they have a voice in brands. And I think, you know, the makeup industry was one of the first to do it where smaller companies were having vote votes on the next eyeshadow and, and turning around that product in a matter of weeks. Um, but this idea of how do we co-create the brand, what it stands for, how it shows up in the world with consumers, that is where we're going. Um, and so figuring out how do you still have a unique brand voice and guiding and shaping that, but also how are you inviting people to the conversation? I think it's super interesting. And then the other thing I was going to say is, Um, I think many industries have already made this pivot. I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan, but this idea that we're not making products, goods, services that we can sell, but we are making amazing experiences for people that they want to be a part of. And I think that is truly how at least the Sims teams is is approaching everything we are doing. We're not making things that we think we can sell. We are making experiences that we want people um, and that we think people will want to be a part of. I, yeah, I love that. I'll say just say one one extra thing that I think is important. Um, you know, with my advertising agency hat on, um, I think historically, you know, everything has been very campaign driven. We've got like a hero video. We've, and I know we're, we're trying to adjust in this world where people are coming in at these different inflections points. My one thing would be lean into social because there's so much opportunity. Like, I think people are either afraid of social. They don't know how to show up on social or they're like, I'll let the interns run the social channels. No, (laughs) I think even for us, like pushing that and really trying to bring our social team into like our conversations and, and figuring out how they can help us tell our stories and how they can serve up stories to us and say, this is what people are talking about. These are, this is who people are excited about. Can we include them? That's really been so pivotal to some of the things that we've been doing lately. Like, for example, uh, you know, we we tapped um, Kira Please, who is this very famous cosplayer who as we were the first brand to hire her for as a voiceover talent um, for our for our trailer um, for um, Dream Home Decorator. And she was so excited about that, that during, you know, on on our kind of recording session with her, we had this um, this insight that I was like, oh, my gosh, you are bringing this character to life. Like we should have we should get the actual character's jumpsuit made for you so you can cosplay her. And this idea that we had known about her from social, she had this whole engagement around that. And we were able to do that. We actually partnered with an influencer, had the jumpsuit made and she cosplayed for us. And it was just this extra little act activation that all came out of social listening and an understanding of like people that our, our, our audience was already rallying around. And the fact that, yes, like a lot of, a lot of simmers are into cosplay. So it's like those kind of like fun little moments that you wouldn't know if you weren't taking social seriously. And it, it, it starts telling a story about who you are as a brand. And it's not, it's not like a huge investment. So I would just say, take social seriously, engage engage on social channels, listen, have fun with it, and don't be afraid to have 
your brand join conversations where it makes sense. I think there's this idea that we shouldn't be, that we should be like having this one-way conversation. It's like, no, the two-way conversation is happening whether you want to or not. So you might as well just like embrace it and get what you can out of it. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. As soon as you, as soon as you say that already, the idea of having a big hero TVC and then trying to slowly measure the results and get ready for next year just seems like a distant, a distant land. Yeah. Totally. But Greg, you're spending your Friday afternoon with the Sims team. So how will you close out the Friday afternoon? What are your, (laughs) what are your hurdles that we can help you with and what's top of your list for Monday? Uh, Well, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's actually my brother's 31st birthday. So I'm going to go off and help him celebrate that. Do that. (laughs) And uh, then, you know, uh, beyond that, I I, I get you loud and clear there, Laurel, kind of saying that it's 6 p.m. here. Why are you still at work? And so, uh, (laughs) yeah, how um, how can how can we help uh, with Monday? I, I honestly, I suppose the, the the main thing is just I'm grateful that we've been able to do this. Thank you. I know that you know there's a a bit of a culture barrier always to cross with the US and the UK, as you know, Sheila, within the confines of your marriage, I presume. So, no, but uh, yeah, thanks for having this chat, and um, I hope we can keep in touch. I hope we can keep the conversation going. We're all about music here at Gas. I want to know what you're doing musically and and see how the conversation's evolving because we. Um, endlessly discuss where you know where are things going. Record we don't we don't own our records anymore. We just have Spotify subscriptions. I want to see how the culture is being pushed in this virtual world and see where it's going. Yeah. So anyway, a bit of a ramble. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This is fun. It really was. And, you know, God willing, there'll be a day where I can actually come back to the US. So um, when and if that happens, are you both West Coast, did you say? Is that right? Yeah, we are when Sheila's not on vacation. <laughs> of course, yeah. Well, hopefully one day uh, we can have a, a, a tour of the uh, the, the, the uh, EA facility and the Sims. Um, I'm going to ask for that on the record. And you both nodded, even though the camera can't see you. So, yeah, great <laughs> stuff. Um, I will... San Francisco. <laughs> I will uh, uh, oh so I'll bring lots of money I will li- leave it there and um, yeah thanks again I hope you guys have a great Friday and let's do this again sometime thanks thank Greg. you thank bye bye bye